Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest-running EOS podcast. We're glad you joined us again this week for another action-packed episode. Before we get started, uh, if you haven't already, head on over to everythingeos.io. Get some of our Everything EOS merch if you want to support the show. But if you don't have the funds, maybe you don't want a shirt, you don't want a phone case or a hat or a hoodie, uh, instead, leave a like or leave a comment. It really helps us out with the YouTube algorithm, so please be sure to do that. Zach, what do we have today? Well, you just mentioned the merch, but I, I think the more yeah. exciting thing coming out of everything EOS is the everything EOS developer courses. Woo, so, they're coming. Uh, so close. So last week, uh, we, we let you guys know uh, how we were thinking of giving it away, uh, because obviously there, there was a lot of time, a lot of effort involved with developing this course. It's over 30 unique lessons and over eight hours of video content. And if you missed it a few days ago, uh, we released, uh, I think it's like the third course within the series of how to set up a, an environment on EOS Studio. So you can get a sample of the quality that you're going to get. And if you missed last week's episode, uh, we explained how uh, you'll be able to get the courses for free. So we obviously asked everybody for their feedback last week on how they wanted us to give away that Everything EOS Developer course for free. And the automatic option is super simple with a smart contract. You can basically send a transaction to the smart contract and verify that you voted for Cypherglass, and that will automatically unlock the course for you and give you free access. But we understand there are some people out there that maybe don't want to be forced to vote for Cypherglass. Maybe they want to vote for other BPs instead. Uh, so we have an option for them, too, to also get the course for free and encourage as many people to vote on the EOS mainnet as possible. So if you're out there, we'll have a web form for you. It won't be automatic, but you can vote for any other BPs you'd like, and we simply ask that you give us feedback on why you don't want to vote for Cypherglass, and because you gave us that feedback that we really appreciate, we will then unlock the course for you for free as well. So everybody has a chance to get the course for free if you don't want to pay for it, whether you're automatically getting it by voting for Cypherglass or doing it through our manual process by voting for any block producers on the EOS mainnet. So it should be great. It should be a huge release. And uh, our goal with this ultimately is to get more people voting and more people building on EOS. So two good things. We debated uh, a good bit about if we should have had um, one that, that fail safe for a way to not vote for Cypherglass because that shouldn't be uh, like a mandatory thing. We just want feedback and we want to know why. Uh, Rob does so much and with everything EOS, we do so much and we just kind of want feedback because obviously we, we care what uh, the community thinks. But we debated on if there should be a minimum amount of tokens to vote. And we, we, we threw around a few numbers, but at the end of the day, the minimum will be one EOS token in your account. So if, if you want to do the automated way through the smart contract, you just have to have one EOS in your account. And you just have to sign a transaction to show us that you're voting for block producers. Um, we encourage you to vote for as many block producers as you feel comfortable and that you are comfortable with, with the, the, the people in the company behind that. But if you're not, we highly discourage that you're only voting for Cypherglass. If, if that's what you're planning to do, we actually recommend you use a, a proxy service. Uh, because if you're not using a proxy, um, you should. Because a lot of people don't have time to research as many block producers as maybe they want to. 30 block producers, to really know and understand 30, means that you probably had to research at least 50 of them. Um, and, and there's at least 50 good ones, too, so it's really hard yeah. to, to know who to decide. Um, which kind of brings me to this cool uh, smart proxy that came out today. I just saw it on Twitter before we started recording here. EOSrex.io, they, they put out this proxy tool where basically 
it has a list of 49 block producers and the tool like automatically rotates through them so that if you're staking to this proxy, the, the smart proxy from ES Rex, and I don't know if it's active on the main net or anything yet, but it basically is constantly rotating your votes, whereas most other proxies, which some of the ones we could just recommend, Freedom Proxy, Brock Pierce One, Colin T Crypto, uh, Investing with a Difference, those are all great proxies. He has uh, Luke Stokes. Just don't admit, leave anyone out. But basically, they usually change their votes like what once every month or so right yeah and just so you know um eosrex.io is actually live on the mainnet right now so eosrex.io the website where you can go and test out rex on the beta and soon actually use rex on the mainnet is where you'll do it but if you want to proxy your vote you can proxy it to just eosrex.io that's their proxy account on mainnet as well so i recommended all of those proxies i i recommend all of those and then i'm sure i left some out but i just wanted to come out here first Everything EOS will have a proxy due to popular demand in, in the next couple of weeks. We're trying to determine how we want to do our votes. We're, we're thinking about setting up a multi-sig uh, with, with some other prominent community members that would help with, with this voting. Um, so just keep an eye out for that. We'll have more details in the next uh, couple of weeks. So stay tuned for more information about the Everything EOS proxy. But moving along through our notes, Dmail just got added to the EOS Links wallet. So you can now send decentralized mail using your mobile phone. Yeah. So in addition to getting added to EOS links, the actual Dmail beta went live last week as well. So we've just now started onboarding our first couple hundred users onto the platform to get their feedback, you know, determine what features we want to add. And we've already added... Uh, uh, some cool little, you know, quality of life improvements and UI improvements and bug fixes. There's been a lot going on on the platform, um, but obviously there were thousands and thousands of people that signed up, so we're not going to let them all in at once. We don't want to just, you know, have everybody come in at the same time and find the same bugs and have the same issues. So instead, we're, we're doing sort of a gradual rollout process, but the beta is going very, very well. People that are using it are, are you know, reporting bugs, giving us great feedback, and uh, it's been great so far. So once you're in the beta, when you have your mail token, send me a message at rob.vr and uh, I'll reply. It's been uh, very cool to use Dmail on the EOS mainnet. How, how many uh, beta users are you up to now? Or are, are you guys up to, I should say? Uh, I think we're past, I want to say past 3,000 registrations or close wow. to it. Um, and we've probably sent out about, I'd say, two, maybe 300 invites to people to come and actually use the beta. So it, we're, we're about 10% through the list right now, and, and we still have a long way to go. Um, but we're, we're doing it as quickly as possible without um, you know, degrading the quality of feedback that we get. Because as we've been doing it slowly and sort of having you know, close relationships with the people that we bring into the beta, it's, it's been uh, amazing in keeping the beta feedback high quality and really helping us narrow down bugs and issues instead of having just you know, 1,000 people hit it at once. So it's been awesome. Yeah, the, the feedback's been extremely positive. So congratulations on that. Um, and I, I want to bring this up, even though you already talked about it in another video, you, you put out a great explainer video like in the last day uh, at the time of this recording for EOS Name Service, yeah. where you really try to onboard new users into EOS by explaining how easy it is to create an account now th through EOS Name Service. A few weeks ago, you added like fiat payments, uh, and we just crossed a major milestone. So if anyone missed this this week, uh, the EOS mainnet has just crossed 1 million Ooh, total unique accounts. 1 million accounts, baby. That's amazing. That's a, a huge milestone, I got to say. And the guys over at Defuse at Defuse.io, which is one of the, the best sort of developer tools to query the blockchain, they're actually searching right now. They have a query going that's basically counting from the first account that was created all the way up to, to the millionth account to see was that millionth account created by EOS name service, and if not, which account was it? So we're super excited to see uh, the results of that from Defuse. 
I just want to congratulate you because I, I think you and your team that launched DS Name Service had a, a big part in doing this Thanks. because you made it fun to create names again, create accounts again, because I, I remember that at the very beginning of the main net, but it was like so hard because everything had to be 12 characters. And then this was the, the first like mainstream within the EOS community service that there was that could give people the, the human readable account names that they really wanted. They didn't have to put a bunch of ones at the end or do anything silly. It's like you said, rob.vr or eoswriter.x or io. Or, uh, so thank you, Rob. Thanks for your entire team because a million wallets. Uh, yeah, that's, it's huge. That's, that's, a, that's a huge number. Yeah, and when we started it, that was really our only goal, you know, hey, let's make it easier for people to register accounts that they actually want. So instead of getting Rob 11111111, you know, I can get Rob.VR, like you said. But now that we're doing things uh, like decentralized DNS and eventually decentralized web hosting, those account names are actually potentially decentralized domain names as well. So there's a ton of exciting stuff coming there that will uh, benefit anybody who has an EOS account. So super exciting. Do we have a timeline on any of that stuff yet? Uh, it'll definitely be this year. So we have a, a huge amount of features that we have from the, the marketplace where you can resell the account names you buy directly on the site to the DNS to you know decentralized web posting to a couple other things that we haven't even talked about at all yet. So internally, what we're doing now is sort of uh, prioritizing and figuring out, okay, what feature is the most requested? What feature should we build next? And, and really dive in on. Um, and once we have that down, we, we hope to you know, give more details to the community. Things just yeah. keep getting better. Uh, so, so we hit a million users. Uh, Rex passed since yeah. the last time we since the last episode. It, I think, when we recorded last week, it needed a couple more votes to pass step two, which was the last voting requirement to implement the Rex. Unfortunately, there were some issues. Uh, it, it, it failed to implement twice, right? Yeah, I believe it was twice. So. So this happens occasionally anytime there's a, a code proposal update. When these things are proposed, the code that goes along with that proposal is actually included as part of the proposal. So once the you know it gets BP approval, 15 out of the top 21 BPs vote, yes, we want this thing in, that code basically can be deployed, um, I believe, by the person who put up the contract or maybe by anybody at that point. But anyway, that code can be deployed to the network but can't be changed. So if there's a bug in the contract, which in this case there was, you have to do an entire revote and get the approval again because the code has then been updated. So unfortunately, that happened once, the code had a bug, happened again, the code had a different bug, and now it looks like it's been passed a third time, and hopefully this time we'll go through without a hitch. Um, and then I think the third step is just uh, for people to turn on their interfaces. So eosrex.io, one of the many places that you can go and uh, try out Rex when it's live in hopefully a couple days or hopefully now mm -hmm. as you're watching this video. So it worked on the testnet. The Rex was live on the testnet for, for weeks, actually, yeah. and there weren't any problems. So what probably happened was the code in the proposal was different than the code they used on the testnet? Well, it's, it's a little bit different. I don't even think the code that was used in the proposal was used on the testnet because the, the code is basically about implementing it on that, that network. Um, and I think that the mainnet's configured a little bit differently, but, but I could be wrong there. So Rex is good to go. It's just a matter of time. It's probably going to be live by the time you're watching this, and if not, a few days later. Um, but beyond that, there's some other really interesting governance stuff going on. So the big, the big talk now is with Rex is what do we do with the how – much, how much is it, Rob? $100 million worth of EOS and the EOS IO dot saving account? Let's or check right now, saving? actually. Uh, saving, singular. So, so I'll it looks like uh, – well, 
Yeah, as of this it. moment, and right now it's Wednesday, there's uh, 34,378,000 EOS in this account. So almost 35 million EOS, which is $162 million sitting in the EOS IO saving account. And that is the 4% inflation that's been just kind of accumulating, originally intended for a worker proposal system on-chain, but uh, currently doesn't have a use. So people are kind of trying to decide what to do with it right now. Is that right, Zach? Yeah, EOS New York, they put out a, a vote the other day. It got 295 votes. It said Per the uh, EOS user agreement, a non-binding proposal has been made to post a notice of the intention of EOSIO.prods to burn the entirety of EOSIO.saving uh, to EOSIO.forum. So basically, it, it says here 33 million tokens. It might be a little higher than that now. They just want to completely burn them. Uh, and the majority of the people in this vote said 72% of them said, good, burn them. 7% said, bad, don't burn them. And then 21% said, wait, why burn them? And I think that 21% is why we want to talk about this today. Yeah. You know, initially I was in the camp of, you know, hey, let's go ahead and burn them. And I think I might still fall there, but uh, we haven't yet voted for this proposal on-chain as Cypherglass that the top 30 BPs get to vote on things like this, like Rex, which we were pretty honored to be a part of that vote, um, at least on the first two rounds and obviously with step (laughs) one. Um, but we, we haven't yet voted on this because we really want to hear from you, you know, the people that are voting for us at Cypherglass, the people that are just members of the EOS community out there watching it now. What do you think we should do? Because I think there are benefits to both, right? There are benefits to us going out and burning it and getting rid of that 4% inflation, turning it off. And that gives, you know, investors on maybe the institutional side and even the retail side a little more confidence in the overall system. They go, okay, 1% inflation is good for me. That pays the block producers and keeps the system running. But the total 5% inflation right now is, is a bit high. So there are definitely economic benefits and potentially token benefits to us um, you know, removing this and burning that. But on the other hand, maybe there are benefits to having a worker proposal type system or having, you know, user account subsidies or something like that on chain. But the biggest problem with those things and sort of using that money for, you know, ecosystem growth is that it's really hard to allocate that effectively and, you know, prevent abuse of people just voting in their own proposal and collecting a bunch of EOS and just selling it on the open market. So I'm a little undecided and really looking to the community to, you know, sway me in one direction or the other here. That, that's funny because I'm, we didn't, we said we weren't going to kind of tell each other our opinions on this before we recorded. And I'm also undecided because I I think there are a few legitimate reasons like for Black Swan events just to have this fund just in case with with the intentions of never touching it unless you absolutely need to. And I I can't predict what this event would be that would cause it to be needed. Um, But that would be, I guess, one of the only reasons I could see using it. Like, Like you said, if it needed to be distributed for community like projects or whatever, it's just really hard to decide on how to allocate those funds. And, and pe- people are just really nitpicky with trusting other people to delegate funds. So it's almost like no one could ever agree on anything. Right. Um, well, and, I mean, to your point, there really is no way to touch these things right now. It's as if the tokens don't exist right now, other than them just being in this account that nobody can control. Um, you know, it, it would take a 15 out of 21 block producer vote to do something with these tokens. So right now, because they're not connected to anything, because nobody has power over it, it's effectively as if the tokens don't exist. But like you said, could be used in an emergency, you know, if we needed those tokens for something. So, so it's so interesting. How, how about we move on to the, the next piece of this? Because so that's what to do with the accumulated funds in the, the, the saving account. Right. But then there's also a proposal that says, and it's, it says reduce the annual rate of inflation to 1%. So basically it, it cuts off the 4% inflation 
and it only pays block producers. And this currently has a 99.9% approval rating on the referendum. So with that, the difference here is um, the, the first thing we were talking about is all of the old funds that were accumulated, just burn them. And then uh, without or if you combine these and you also pass the reduced annual inflation, then that means the EOSIO saving account is basically dead. It will not get any more inflation and we burned everything saved up in it. I, I do think it's important to note, though, that it is possible to just have the, you know, turning it off and reducing the inflation to 1%, but not burning it. So you could still keep the 34 mm-hmm. million EOS that are in there now, just in case, until we, you know, decide. But you could turn off the inflation now, which is something that I think, you know, according to this referendum, 99.9% of, of voters agree with. I, I'm, I'm, I already voted for this one. I'm 100% in favor of reducing nice. the annual inflation to 1%. Uh, there's no doubt about that. My thing with the saving is once we burn it, you can't get it back. So I would actually be more in favor of burning like 95% of it or, or something hmm. like that. Just having th- this little bit there just in case, w- knowing that no one's probably ever going to touch it or need it, but we just can't predict the future, I guess. Right. Um, so there's one aspect that I haven't seen talked about a lot of where this 4% burn, or the, not the 4%, but the 33 million token burn uh, does affect everybody. And that is with block producer pay. Block hmm. producers are currently paid a 1% inflation based on the entire token supply. So by burning 33 million tokens, you're essentially shrinking the supply and lowering the inflation rate for the oh, block producers also. Yeah, that's something I didn't consider. I mean, it's, it would effectively be, uh, I guess, a 3.5% relative reduction in pay since it's about 3.5% of the, the total tokens, maybe a little less. Um, but that is something interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still in favor of reducing it to 1%, even if that, that change, you know, harms the income we're getting at Cypherglass. But that is an interesting thing to consider. So you, I don't know how you did the math in your head like that. I'm terrible at math. So I was just 3. thinking 5 roughly 35 roughly. million tokens out of a billion is 3.5%. And because it's 1.035 you know, billion, it's going to be a little less than that, like 3.4, 3.3%. So, so since this needs to pass by a 1521 multisig, uh, I don't think that's a big enough change in block producer pay that it, it would kind of create uh, a reason for someone to not approve it if they're otherwise in favor of it. I don't, I don't think the block producer pay will be an issue. What, what do you think on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, a, a 3% temporary reduction, essentially, um, is not a huge deal um, and, and just gives people more reason, I think, to, to go out there and try to get more votes. We're, we're going to keep going with some government governance. There's a, I, we haven't really talked about referendum in a long time. We've been talking yeah. about the uh, EOS, EOS user agreement. And, but the thing is, referendum is still very important because we still want to see what, what the token holders think. So someone else had a proposal uh, for what to do with the EOSIO saving account. And their idea was to spread it out evenly. <laughs> that is a terrible idea, I think. And there's a reason it's got 97.5% saying no. Uh, with 10, almost 10 million votes. I think that's a terrible idea. Um, other, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think it was just proposed by some people in Telegram or Twitter, but they wanted to um, use EOSIO.saving to kind of pump up the recs a little bit. So hmm. maybe not dump it all in there at once because then everyone just would just get this windfall payment. That doesn't make sense. But maybe slowly uh, start pouring it out into the recs to, to kind of give it a kickstart. That's pretty but, interesting. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested in listening to that. And that's another big reason why we shouldn't be in a hurry to burn it. So I I think just let it go. Cut the inflation down to 1%. Don't touch that big pile of tokens. And then let's let's give 
us another couple more months to, to see what happens with Rex, see what happens in June with Block One, whatever they're doing, and then we could decide then. I, I don't see a big hurry to, to burn this big pile of tokens, and, but I also don't have a good reason to use them yet either. Right. I totally agree. And I mean, your point was, was really spot on in that, you know, once we burn them, you can't go back. You can always burn these again in the future if we say, okay, you know, we definitely want to burn them. There's no use for these, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't go, oh shit, we shouldn't have burned that. We actually needed those. <laughs> There's no way to unburn them at that point. Exactly. So th- I'm in no rush to do this, but I, I am in favor of rushing to just cut off the inflation. I, I don't think we need more than 33 million tokens. Totally so agree. Cu- Cutting it off needs to happen. Burning it, I, I think we should have some long discussion about this and just kind of predict the future of like what what is on the short list of potential events that we could consider a black swan event that would cause us to want to use this as an insurance policy almost if we had like a Dow like situation, but a little bit different because we're EOS obviously. Um, and then the other thing is, what if we want to kind of uh, subsidize the Rex a little bit and not. Like, like just trick win a little bit at a time. And then once those 33 million tokens over, like let's say it's a 20 year plan of just trickling them in and then it cuts off. I, I don't know. There, there's just so many options of it, of what to do. And I don't think we've ever actually taken the time to hear people out on, on some ideas with it. Hmm. I, I don't, I don't think we should jump into it until we talk about it. And then if we can come to the same agreement, then we'll burn it. I'm, I'm in favor of both. I just want to talk about it. Let's yeah. talk about it. <laughs> Um, so the last referendum, we're, we're going long in this governance, man. This is two weeks in a row. So we went two weeks hard on speculation yep. and then now we're going two weeks hard on governance. And we have some, thing- uh, we have some good speculation coming up though. So once we get oh, through yeah. this last piece. So the last one is that, um, last week we talked about this proposal by EOS New York about, uh, distributing, um, the, the, um, how would you call it with the token, the multi-sig on the token? Essentially decentralizing the permissions on token contracts. Oh, yeah. So the smart contracts that govern, you know, DAP tokens or mail tokens for DMAIL, decentralizing the control of those so that, you know, only 15 out of 21 block producers can make a change, not just somebody who has one key controlling the entire smart contract. And as part of that, there, there, there is a way for DAPs to bid on this, this special permissions system. Like one per day would be sold in an auction-like system. And then EOS New York proposed that the, the profits from that, because it's opt-in and not inflationary, would go towards a, a commons fund for EOS development projects that benefit the entire ecosystem. That is on the referendum today. And after 9.7 million votes, it's 100% voting yes in favor of that. Wow. So, so that's, that's really cool. Um, but as far as the, the part where this money comes from, which is that auctioning system. EOS DAC put out a Steemit article where they basically uh, explained how DAC-like security permissions could solve the problem in, in the same or a better way than 15 out of 21 block producers. And then Colin Talks Crypto, uh, if, if you follow his YouTube channel, he put out a three-part series that was all about uh, decentralizing smart contracts. Yeah. So I think, I, I think the big thing that everyone could agree on is uh, smart contracts, especially from widely used dApps and, and their token contracts, should absolutely not be controlled by a single private key. It should either be done by like a, a board or a DAC or 15 out of the 21 block producers. But you, you should never put all of the control of basically the entire DAP and the token in, in one person, not one person's hand, but one entity's hand, one Definitely. entity's hands, one key that could potentially something could happen and it's it's game over after that. So yeah. I think that's where everyone could agree. 
Well, and I think that's part of, you know, part of decentralizing the, the control of these token contracts is decentralizing where, or de- rather decentralizing the amount of solutions that you have to, to decentralize those contracts. So it shouldn't just be, <laughs> hey, here's one solution. Everybody has to use it. Everybody has to use block producers or everybody has to use DAC or multi-sig. The, the beauty of this is that people can kind of pick and choose what they believe is, is right for them based on the level of immutability they want. So Dan made an interesting point in Telegram recently that, you know, both mutable and immutable smart contracts have their own sets of programs pros and cons, their own sets of trade-offs. You know, if you look at something like the DAO hack on Ethereum, where the fact that this contract was immutable and could not be changed, you know, you can't update it, you can't pause it, you can't stop it, you can't do anything, that was detrimental to that overall ecosystem. And to Ethereum as a whole, it resulted in the the Ethereum Classic hard fork and so much more. But there are also cons to having mutable contracts that can be changed or can be updated in that if there is a bad actor, maybe a hacker comes in and if you only have one key securing that contract, they could, you know, print new tokens or update token balances and do a bunch of bad stuff that you don't want them doing. So both have their set of trade-offs. And by having a bunch of different solutions, we can sort of give developers a spectrum from totally mutable to totally immutable and let them pick where they want to go. So I think that is awesome and uh, should make the ecosystem more secure and better as a result. Yeah. I, so you mentioned the DAO hack, but was it Polkadot? Isn't there like a pretty big Ethereum project that has like a, a, like several million dollars locked up because they... I, f- I figured it would happen. It might have been poked up, but there was the, the parody wallet parody hack wallet. with multi-sig that, where that a bunch of people got yeah, locked that out. That was what I was thinking. T- tens of millions of dollars, I believe it was. There have been uh, a lot of issues with totally mutable smart contracts on Ethereum that have, or excuse me, totally immutable, meaning they cannot be changed because um, you can't make something on Ethereum that can be updated without building it in a really hacky way. But uh, there are a lot of problems with that. So there are benefits to both, and it'll be interesting to see what developers choose for their applications and for their token contracts. So I, I think the parity wallet uh, hack is a, is a good example of how that would be different on EOS if EOS New York, if their proposal passed and everyone agreed on it, and if uh, they won the daily auction and they had their their contract decentralized amongst the, the 21 active block producers. I, I think Parity is a pretty reputable project. It has some of the smartest people in the Ethereum community on it. So I don't, I don't think anyone would doubt their integrity, but they just had an unfortunate situation happen. So if yeah. this were on EOS and if EOS New York's proposal passed or if the, the, the project used like a DAC-like functionality on a multi-sig, then there would be a way to retrieve these tens of millions of dollars of tokens, which yeah, and right now they're all just locked up. We should also note that even if they didn't do any of that and they only built it on EOS, things like the DAO and things like the Parity Hack wouldn't have happened either or at least would have you know, been severely mitigated in terms of damage. Because once you saw, oh, wow, someone is exploiting a replay loop to just drain this, this giant you know, DAO fund of all of its money over and over again, you could hit pause on the smart contract or clear and clear it out and then they would no longer be able to do that. You could you know, figure out how they were exploiting that replay loop, push a bug fix, and then the whole thing would continue, and you wouldn't have had to hard fork the entire Ethereum network just for <laughs> what was effectively one dApp that uh, had a bug in their code. So EOS is superior in a lot of ways that you know, if you're building a website, you don't just deploy a website and go, well, that's it. I'm never going to make a change again. I, you know, that's it. That's my website forever. But that's how it is on Ethereum with a smart contract. So with EOS... You know, it's more of the traditional development mindset that, hey, you're going to deploy something as a business or as someone just building a contract for fun, and you're going to want to update it and improve it over time. And that's one of the aspects of EOS from a developer's perspective that I just love so much and I think gives us a huge advantage in terms of easy developer onboarding and, you know, app updates as time goes on. Amen. 
So speaking of user onboarding, yeah. uh, and we were just talking about ES New York. So we, we talked about that they have their transit API, which we've mentioned before, which is uh, the, the way they describe it is how, how it helps user onboarding, makes it easier for dApps to integrate with all of the different wallets. And it seems like they have a product that, go, that they have to naturally pair with the transit API. And you saw an early example of it at the last ES New York meetup, but the images are finally live. They posted uh, a blog article about it. The EOS Metro wallet is coming soon. So I, I, there's still very little information about it. Uh, besides, I'm just happy to see what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a picture on the screen. It looks like a little USB stick. Um, and on the website, it, it says that... So, so I have, I guess, some critiques about it just initially. And it's probably because there's not a lot of information out. But Kevin Rose, you can always message me, come into everything ES Channel and explain... Uh, the whole situation. So the first thing is on the website, it says it, it's good for mobile or desktop. And I just have questions about, I guess, how a, a USB uh, drive, hardware drive, would, would be used on, on a cell phone. Hmm. Um, as, as far as you know, Rob, do you know if it has like a Bluetooth or anything or an NFC? Like, I don't. I, haven't, I, yeah, I didn't see that listed in the specs, but it is possible, I guess, that it has Bluetooth and that's how they communicate with your phone, similar to the, the Ledger Nano X that uh, I guess just got delayed, actually. Um, so it Ooh. is technically possible, but uh, Kevin, maybe you can uh, help us clarify. But you know, something that's good I should mention also, um, Kevin said he will send us one of these units so that we can do an exclusive review and an exclusive preview, really get those questions answered. So we will have one of the first EOS Metros right. here on the show once Kevin is ready to send it over to us. And uh, we'll show everybody what it's all about and, and hopefully get everybody's questions answered. I'm excited. First thing I'm going to try to do is try to connect to it on wirelessly. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> exactly. I guess they That'll just need to tell us one. that it has that on there. Maybe just throw it on their specs on their website. But it, I, I just right. don't know how you could otherwise use it with mobile. And that, that's kind of my questions. And then the other thing, and a, a lot of people in our channel had the same questions. They asked Kevin directly. Uh, it doesn't have a screen. So whenever you're typing in your pin, you, you can't really ver- like You don't see what you're typing. I'm sure... They have a solution. I'm sure this wasn't lost on them. So I just want to hear more about how that works and how, how, how the um, pins are entered and validated and things like that. But I, I'm excited to see this. I, I got a Stardios uh, hardware wallet also. I, have, I actually haven't, oh, nice. I haven't used it yet. And I, I don't know if I'm going to use it with like any of my main wallets. And that, that's another thing I want to bring up is like EOS New York, incredible trust. You can't have more trust on the EOS main net than for EOS New York. Stardios... You're, 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 you're doing good stuff, but um, I, I think they, they've kind of had a little bit of negative publicity in the past. Well, how do you feel about these independent wallets that uh, don't – they have reputation as block producers, uh, but like I, when ledgers first came out, people probably didn't trust them right away. And over time, like it's all open source code, I guess, too, but you could still have hardware attacks. Um, how do you feel about all these off, not off brand because they're name brand than EOS, but like all these different independent hardware producers yeah. who aren't experts in hardware? You know, ultimately, I think it is a very good thing because the, the you know just like we were talking about the decentralization, the diversity of options for a developer to decentralize their token contract. I think we need the same thing with hardware wallets. You know, from a security point of view, so that if one does get attacked, it doesn't affect every single person that's you know storing their their coins on their hardware wallet. But so I think it's a good thing. You know, more choice, more options for users. But to your point, I mean, I do agree that their biggest hurdle is going to be 
convincing users to trust them. You know, you may trust somebody as a blog producer, but it's another thing to trust, you know, storing a significant amount of money on a hardware product that that person manufactured. Um, so, you know, obviously we know EOS New York and StartEOS don't have malicious intent. We can sort of assume these things are safe, but even still, because they're not on that Ledger brand or on that Trezor status, um, you know, it's going to take a little while for users to trust it. Do I think it's impossible? Absolutely not. I think there will be a ton of people using, um, you know, both StartEOS's memory box, which I think is pretty cool, and then uh, the Metro from EOS New York. There's been a, a lot of interest there as well. So I think it's a good thing, and you just kind of let the, the users decide, you know, the more choice that users have, the better. I, I so the the Stardius wallet the, they did have a wireless uh, Bluetooth on there. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost positive of it. So I'm oh, I, nice. Yeah, I've seen a little. I haven't seen one in person, but I have seen a demo that looks cool where you you sort of link it to the Stardius app and you store all of your accounts on that memory box, sort of linked to your phone. But then if you switch phones or want to use it on your computer, you can use that same memory box and it kind of transfers. Which I thought yeah. Was so neat. thanks Stardius. I, I didn't want to kind of start any fud or anything. I, I know it's a very talented team. I just wanted to point out that there was some controversy in the past, and that that's out in the open. Everyone knows about that. Um, yeah. So I'm excited about the hardware wallets, and to go along with that. Um, as far as trust, if we go back to the EOSIO Labs uh, article about passwords, um, as far as your authentications, y- y- the lump sum of your funds, like whatever you want to consider your personal crypto savings account, no single DAP should ever have access to that. It should always be done on a multi-sig. So if, if you think of it like that, then you could probably trust all of these independent hardware wallets if you only give them uh, limited permissions. Uh, with, with like specific DApps or with specific EOS accounts. So I, I guess there's really not a big issue then with that. Yeah, I mean, and that is one of the cool things about EOS. And part of the reason we made EOS name service, you know, I have a bunch of different EOS accounts, you know, for different things, some for playing DApps where I just keep a little bit of money, some for storing tokens long-term where I keep a lot of money, some that are, you know, kind of fall in between for various purposes. But, uh, you know, if you have all of your EOS in one account, it may be time to get another account um, head over to eosnameservice.io is a perfect one. But it may be seriously from a security perspective so that you can have an account that you use and you play in dApps, you know, if you're, especially if you're importing a private key into a dApp, you really shouldn't keep a lot of EOS and other tokens there. Just keep those in your main account and then have one that you use to interact and sort of be a little uh, more risky from a security perspective. All right. I, I think it's time to move on to something fun. We've talked Ooh, governance. Yeah. We've talked voting. We, we've talked hardware and security. Yep. I, I think we need to talk about Dan on Telegram. We, we haven't talked we about Dan it's on Telegram a in a while. Not, yeah. not since the original B1 June and uh, emojis. We haven't talked about Dan on Telegram. Last night, Tuesday night, Dan said one of the coolest things I've ever seen him see. <laughs> or seen him say. Or read him say. Uh, someone asked. I don't have their name in front of it. I'm sorry. Uh, someone asked him. I think it was Tequila, maybe. Uh, I'd love to see you interviewed on everything EOS. Ooh. And, Dan's response, I'll think about it. Hey, yeah. my boy Dan, coming through. So he's through. saying there's a chance. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I'm hoping, so, uh, you know, obviously we had Brendan commit to coming on Everything EOS in the past. I'm hoping that maybe we can get Brendan and Dan on Everything EOS in, in June. Maybe, maybe it'll, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it will. So speak, speaking of June, so a little bit of a bummer news about the June 1st event. So the great news is it will be live streamed on a bit of a delay. Yeah. But the bad news is that everyone can't come who wants to come because Dan clarified on Telegram that it will be invite only. Um, But we will be there. So uh, we will still be there. And like we said, we hope to be able to run into Dan and Brendan there. Uh, We'll let you guys know uh, when when we have the information ourselves. Definitely. But So this is the Block 1 June stuff. So uh, invite only. 
And another thing he said was 1.8 release candidate coming soon. Nice. So I'm, I'm excited for that. And he, he said a few weeks ago that we'd be getting regular updates leading up to June 1st, that June 1st is the main event. But it, it, every couple weeks, uh, I was kind of, or every, I was expecting updates every week. I was being too bullish on that. But it's been a couple weeks now since we've had a, a big update. So I'm looking forward to 1.8 and, and what it has in there. One feature that I'm hoping comes, you know, obviously more multi threading of different parts of the, 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 you know, transaction processing stack, if you want to call it that. Um, so different things are already, you know, running on a multi threaded process, like signature validation on chain. That was about 50% of the time it took. To process a transaction was just validating, hey, was this signed by the proper key with the proper authority, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they have the authority to send this transaction. So that's on a multi, I believe now you can run that, um, you know, parallel in, in, in a multi-threaded state in some way that gives you a performance boost. But other parts of, you know, EOS are being multi-threaded over time and sort of given that compatibility so that we can scale the chain even further. So I'm hoping for that. But I'm also hoping for similar to the Dunya Labs Eclipse solution where you can sort of auto-delegate CPU to users as they're using your uh, account. Block One, or as they're using your DAP rather, Block One had talked about uh, actually releasing something into the core EOS IO code that would allow DAP developers to just automatically pay for CPU on behalf of a user. So integrating that a little bit more, giving people more options into how they delegate CPU and really integrating it in that way, I think would be awesome. So that's something I'm hoping to see in 1.8 or maybe in a 2.0 release if Block One surprises us with a big 2.0 on June 1st, because they did say announcements and updates. And I'm really hoping those mm-hmm. updates are EOSIO updates that will you know, blow some people out of the water. The, that, this is the first I, I've ever heard that. So let me get to my speculation. My only speculation is that there's going to be some performance upgrades and they're probably going to have some bug fixes. I I think that's the obvious. I hope we get at least one surprise of some feature that we may have forgot about, such as the one Rob described. But you're right. If they release 1.8, like in the next couple days or week even, uh, then the next one's 1.9 potentially. And And then after that, it's two. It's really not a big deal. Like they're release numbers, but like to go with their big announcements, I mean, it is publicity at the end of the day coming out with 2.0 at the second year anniversary if you think of these numbers year one was the end of the ico and the launch of the main net year two is b1 june so it, it makes sense to me that we'll see 2.0 so that means we should get at least one more release candidate upgrade uh between whenever i guess between now and then i guess we'll get two updates if 1.8 is not out by the time this airs well and remember with software i mean they don't have to go from 1.8 to 1.9 to then two they could jump from 1.8 to two so uh even if 1.8 comes out a little later we don't see a 1.9 doesn't mean we won't get or Mm -hmm. can't get a 2.0 but also keep in mind what brendan bloomer has said the ceo of block one he has come out and said hey we're starting our annualized product release cycle in june what is the biggest product that Block One has right now? It's EOS IO. That's it. That's the software that powers the EOS mainnet, that's going to power enterprise, private chain, so much more. That is their biggest product. It would only make sense that the next greatest version of it, EOS IO 2.0, comes out in June. So that's what I'm really hoping for ultimately overall. I think the products, whatever we might get from them, will just sort of be icing on the cake and you know, really great for everybody that, that maybe doesn't understand the technical side. But from a block producer's perspective, I am super excited for 2.0 and what that might bring. It's so funny. I don't think people are going to get as hyped about this speculation as some of the other stuff. It's like, yeah, 2.0 what's that mean? <laughs> it, yeah, it is just, people are like, well, how does that affect but, me? It'll, it should be great new features, performance updates, stuff that is just great for the chain and developers. And usually overall. whenever you roll over a number, like a non-decimal number, usually there are major upgrades involved. So 
Exactly. That, that's the exciting part. The number is kind of irrelevant. It's just what kind of you, you could assume will happen with that number. Anytime there's a rollover to a non-decimal number, it's a big, big update. So Definitely. Well, and even on smaller things, you know, to, to quantify it, when we get like a 1.7.5 upgrade, that's much less significant than, say, a 1.7 to 1.8 upgrade. And similarly, that's less significant than a 1. whatever to 2.0 or 2.x to, you know, 3.0. So it really would be a huge jump and hopefully have significant, significant features. So uh, we'll see. Only time will tell. But we're, what, four or five weeks away now from June 1st? It's, it's sneaking up on us here. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess... What do you think the, the for sure things are? I, I think 2.0 is for sure. We just don't know what that actually means. I think right. Mios is in the bag. We know what Mios is. Uh, so th- but I guess we don't know what Mios is. Do you, do you think Mios will be like a website, a protocol, or, or something bigger? And I want to hear the, the thing you predicted earlier before we started recording. <laughs> I, think, I think it could be all of the above. And I think... There have been a lot of interesting rumors that I've kind of heard about it maybe being a browser. And obviously, you know, people hear browser like, wait a minute, like a, a web browser, like a mobile or a desktop web browser. I think that that actually makes sense when we unpack that idea a little bit. You know, obviously we have decentralized DNS coming with EOS name service. That would be much easier to integrate if we had a browser specifically for this stuff. It's, it's obviously possible in Google Chrome and Safari and everything as well. But to have our own EOS browser would be pretty incredible. And, and then if you think, okay, identity and accounts. Right now in Google Chrome, I have identity and accounts. I log in with my Gmail account. That's what syncs me between all my browsers. But imagine having a crypto wallet built into that where I can send tokens to people automatically, sort of like you have Scatter built into your browser once you install it, um, or I guess you did in the old version before <laughs> they switched to desktop. This would kind of be an all-in-one package for uh, everything EOS, for everything you needed to do on EOS, whether it was storing tokens or making a new account or hosting a decentralized website. It could all kind of be done in there. So that's you know, I heard a little whisper of, hey, hey, maybe it's a browser, just somebody sort of talking about it, you know, speculating. And then I took that idea in my mind and started thinking, wow, you know, imagine all the things they could do with a browser and imagine how much sense that would make. So that's what I'm really hoping it is, especially thinking about the, you know, decentralized web hosting that we're coming out with. But uh, only time will tell. It could be so many different things. It could be all of these things we're talking about. It could be none of them and something we, we haven't even thought of. And that, I think, is what is so exciting about B1G. So... You mentioned this right before we recorded, and I immediately jumped to Google because I, I just thought backwards to the whenever we uh, mentioned the trademarks for Mios and the descriptions right. and statements for their goods and services. And I'll just read th- the first two sentences here. Computer application software for embedding a web browser, interfacing with secure hardware key storage, and executing proposed transactions via the blockchain. So, it, I mean... Maybe, maybe not, but it, but it would make sense, right? Because if it's an app like like Facebook, just something better and different, th- for user adoption and onboarding, they still have to download an app. So no matter what, there's going to be that point of friction of how do I get people to download this app? And then we, we speculated before that it's possible that they will distribute ad revenue earned uh, through, through this software to all of the users on the software, and that would be somewhat like a UBI or a revenue share. And if you wanted to advertise on a platform like this, you, the, the companies wanting to run their ads would most likely need to buy whatever token Mios is running on, and then they would spend those in, in, like for the ad network. So what better way to collect a lot of uh, data on a user if it's opt-in, and that would be the important piece here, is that if you opt out, 
you know, you know you have like cryptographic proof and your permission keys, you know your data is not really going where it shouldn't be. But if it's opt-in, th then you, you could do that and share all kinds of browser data. So you were kind of explaining to me earlier uh, before we started recording about the Brave browser. Do you want to kind of just yeah. give a high level of what that is? So Brave is a, a browser from one of the creators of uh, Firefox, Brendan Eich, great guy. Um, they did a whole uh, ICO on Ethereum in, in 2017, I believe it was, for basic attention token. Um, and essentially what their whole platform, the, the initial premise of Braze was, was as you're using websites from independent publishers, or maybe you're on everythingus.io watching one of our videos, you could sort of send little crypto micropayments to those publishers or those content creators to kind of thank them for what they were doing. Um, there was also incorporation of their attention token, which was a, a pretty interesting concept. And what I'm thinking is maybe that aspect would be built into this as well. We know that you know Dan and Brendan have have talked uh, about, hey, UBI may be incorporated in one of our products, you know, one of their first software products that they come out with. Maybe if that is the browser, there will be something where, you know, whether you're selling your data or just getting paid through a UBI to use that browser, that it will be incentivized in some way. Because obviously, you know, Chrome is something that I live in daily. Like there are little intricacies of Chrome, little shortcuts, things that I love about Chrome. And it will be very hard uh, for the average user who's not just using it to get those extra EOS account functionalities, but for the average person to say, hey, let me use this entirely different browser. So uh, if they say, hey, you know, you're going to get paid every month or every week for using this browser, I think a lot more people would join it. And uh, maybe we will see the UBI card uh, pulled out for that, so to speak. So I, I, I'm trying to conceptualize what this would be like because I, I haven't put much thought in it. And I don't know if it is a browser or not a browser. But could you imagine if whenever you're on a website and you see a banner ad because you opted in for ads, if that would add like a fraction of a penny to your EOS account because that ad got shown? Yeah. So you would be like incentivized incentivized to browse the web, but there'd be like an attack vector. How, how do you prevent bots from doing that? Well, you have a secure identity solution and that, that's how you'd prevent that. So exactly. Uh, it, it sounds like it, there's something that could happen, whether it's block one or someone else or something in the future and not for June. This sounds like something reasonable, I think. Definitely. And I should clarify also, I mean, everything we're talking about here is pure speculation, just kind of going off of different quotes. I wish, and I get asked this a lot, Rob, do you know what's coming in B1 June? Like, are you just not telling us? I wish I knew it was coming. I really do. But this is just speculation because we're so excited about it. And, and just, you know, because Block One is thinking so big, the possibilities here are so broad. It could be a browser, it could be a social media network, it could just be a wallet, it could be open source code for people to launch one or all of those things. So it's just so exciting you know, to put on the speculation hat and think what could it really be coming in June because the, the implications of what they're going to release I think are going to be huge. So I'm just excited about it, but I do need to clarify, it's just, just speculation going off a couple comments. Let's go back. So April 20th, Dan, Dan gave some notable quotes uh, about some of their upcoming solutions. And one of the quotes was, our wallet is more of a password manager that will sign transactions after rendering a proper Ricardian contract that, rather than anything app-specific. So that could tie into a browser. So you mentioned Chrome. It's what most of us use. Uh, and I have all of my passwords. It's basically a password manager in Chrome. If you had my Google account information, and I have 2FA and all kinds of stuff, so don't even try it then you could essentially have access to all of my passwords just by having that one password. So it's essentially a password manager. So if Google were to be hacked and not be up to par on security, I hope they are. And like I said, I have all the double, triple authenticators. 
Uh, but with just that one password, you could have access to everything. And it's kind of like with Scatter. You have your master password and then all of your linked accounts in there. Like, like that's, a bit, that's a big responsibility to give to any centralized application. So uh, they, they keep talking password managers. He's describing this wallet where it doesn't really have to do with tokens, but it's more of like signing transactions. I think the other interesting piece of this is that he confirmed that they have a wallet. So we, we thought the Block One wallet was getting open sourced because different pieces of it are and how it was communicated. But now it sounds like Block One will also have a wallet. It's just different than what any of us were expecting. Yeah, well, and if you look back at that original EOS IO Labs announcement, it said Block One will not be launching a wallet at this time. So it didn't say they weren't going to launch one ever. It just said at that time of the EOS IO Labs release, they weren't going to launch one. Uh, so maybe in June, we will still get that wallet. I, I think... You know, I hadn't seen this quote from Dan um, back on uh, April 20th, but that really does sort of add a little bit more fuel to the fires of, you know, is it a browser? You know, that that whole conversation, because a password manager does make a ton of sense going in with that identity layer and so much more built into that browser experience. So maybe, maybe it's all uh, shaping together. I mean, it would make sense why they did that Ricardian contract update with the standardization, because within the browser, you you, you have to see the human readable contract. text of what every function that you're signing or every transaction you're signing is actually doing. That's something I think is just so cool. Like everybody knows now if you've signed a transaction with Scatter, you see the pop-up, you get some kind of, you know, you get the actual, um, I guess, function or whatever it is in the code, like update auth, which is one you should watch out for, or, you know, transfer to transfer a token. You see that, but it, it really doesn't you know, tell you explicitly what it's going to do. But with the Ricardian contract update that I think was in the last version of EOSIO, 1.7 point something, um, you can basically add as a developer, hey, this contract will transfer a token to this, or this contract will give you an entry ticket to this game, or whatever it may be, just to make it easier for you, the user, to understand what's going on when you send a transaction. So that, just from a user experience perspective and a, you know, mainstream onboarding perspective, really does make a ton of sense and is something that is necessary. So, Mio's is a browser or it's just something really cool and it does everything we say it will as far as like some sort of uh distribution of ad revenue for opted in ads if this all happened and you got paid to use it but it required a kyc how would you feel about it because at the eos expo uh a few people that i trust uh that i don't know if they heard firsthand or not but it it was mentioned that they're like 99.9 percent sure that there's a kyc component involved with it it depends on the level of KYC. Is it government KYC where I have to do like a Coinbase verification with my face and my ID? Or is it like linking Telegram and verifying my phone number? There's a, a sort of a wide spectrum of what KYC actually could be. But it also doesn't surprise me at all, especially if Block One is going to be redistributing ad revenue to people. You know, when, when you're in the U.S., um, and I, I can imagine they want to capture the U.S. market moving to D.C. and potentially opening a campus there. Um, all of that that's going on, they don't just want to exclude the U.S. like they did in the token sale. They really want to embrace that market because it is a massive market and a place where so much Internet innovation has been happening over the last you know, 20 years. So with all of that in mind, if a company like Block One that has this giant legal team you know, that's really trying to do stuff by the book – if they're going to be sending out payments to people, you can bet that it's going to be you know, KYC. They're going to want your tax information so that if they pay you more than $600 in the U.S., you have to pay taxes and it gets reported. So it doesn't surprise me at all that there will be a KYC component, but I'll be very curious to see you know, through what method do they implement that KYC? Like I said, is it, you know, social network link? Is it a driver's license or is it something else that maybe we haven't thought of? So like a few hours after I, I, I heard from a few people that this might be the case with Mios, I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. It's another layer of friction. People won't want to do it. And then I got to thinking, 
that maybe it's not such a big idea, a big deal. And then I went and rented a scooter in San Francisco, like, and I had to, I had to use an (laughs) app to do it. And sure enough, it made me take a picture of my driver's license. So I basically, and, and it wasn't a big deal at all. And there were hundreds of people riding these scooters, these electric scooters all over town and like rented bikes. So like, I don't, think that would be a big deal i I think in in the the environment we're in in the in the crypto ecosystem people are very private about things and and they're they're, they tend to not always want to give up their identity unless they have to like with with like a coinbase account or something for example but i i don't think for your average person if they're basically told here's a new social media platform you'll get paid for all the browsing you do in this browser if it's a browser or from just like what you post and get likes on in social media like, I think that's enough incentive that if you got to take a picture of your driver's license, that it, it's, it's not going to slow a single, uh, not a well, single, yes, but it's not going to slow down a lot of people. Yeah, I totally agree. I think for the average person, it, it really won't be a hindrance for them, you know, adopting and using the app. And keep in mind also, it, just like, you know, the scooter app, the first thing you really have to do is take a photo of your license before you can jump on the scooter. But with an app like this, KYC could be at a much further end of the processor of the user funnel where, you know, you can log on, you can use the app, you can even accrue value in the app. But then maybe when you want to withdraw that value to your own account or, you know, spend it in some way, then you get the KYC process. Like, okay, I want to unlock my 20 bucks. I got to give them the KYC and then I'm, you know, free flowing from here. So I think it could be done in a way that doesn't really disrupt the user acquisition process. Can't argue with that. Uh, um, Is there anything else we want to cover with with the Dan quotes or do we want to move move on to the last topic here? Um, I think we can move on. There's uh, some exciting stuff happening. So I am not 100% on how this stuff works, but there is a big announcement over the last couple of days that a a sovereign uh, nation called Liberland announced that they're basically going to run their entire government regulations and currencies all on an EOS IO blockchain. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I've seen stuff like this in the past, uh, especially... um, there was one called like Bit Nation or something a few years ago. And this Liberland, it, it says uh, the country was founded with global recognition April 13th, 2015. Uh, so I, I don't really understand how you could run everything on a blockchain if you're a government. But I do like that they did their due diligence, researched all of the other products on the market and they chose EOSIO. Yeah. So well, that I can understand. There's a great quote that I would love to read. And this is coming from uh, the president of Liberland, who has a, her name is uh, Vit Jedlika, I believe. Anyway. I think it's a, I think it's a guy. Oh, it's a guy. Anyway, the, the Liberland president says, we have chosen EOSIO because it's a top rated technology and it provides a lot of the features necessary to run country management. Yes, country management on a blockchain. For example, it will allow us to have our national assembly, judiciary, and even company registrations in one integrated system that can evolve over time. So they're really doing some big things with this, and I, I bet both mm-hmm. Dan and Brendan are super excited about this because you know government has been a hot topic lately, uh, especially with the whole uh, DC event and everything coming up. Yeah, so it's kind of like the way we describe the purpose of a sister chain compared to like the EOS mainnet is it's meant to kind of innovate and do things that that like governance models that we can't do on the mainnet or it's just risky because it's unproven so if we want in the next 20 to 50 even 100 years to have this just be the norm of basically government as a service on a software platform like you're not going to just have a big country like the United States or like the United Kingdom do it like it, it it's going to take a little like tiny 
nation like this to really try to innovate it. And I compare it to the crypto regulations in the country of Malta. Uh, Malta is one of the smallest countries in Europe, but they have some of the best blockchain regulation in in the world, or or most favorable, I should say. And the reason is because it's easier to convince a small group. It's easier to govern a smaller group of people than trying to govern a worldwide, like, EOS mainnet, for example, you, you could accomplish a lot more with this small group. I, I think this country is only like a, a few miles in, in size. Two if, square miles, I think. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's not that far off. And like if we want to have we, we talked a few weeks ago about having a parallel government election. Well, this country could do a real government election. They don't even got to worry about trying it on parallel first. They could just run it, it on EOS IO the first year it's available to do so. So I'm excited to watch this, not because I necessarily want to be part of it or I want to move there. I just want to see the different ways that they innovate. And if they're going to do like land registrations, for example, they might only have two miles of land. But if they have code that actually does that, it's going to be a lot easier to like point of this as a proof of concept to a larger nation to say, look, we've got the open source code to do this. Here's a a use case. It it was successful. They saved this this much uh, percentage on like administration costs and, and it's completely transparent and everyone likes it. So I, like, yeah. I can't wait to see what the, I guess next couple of years bring, because I, I don't, I don't expect something like this to just pop up overnight. The announcement might have popped up overnight, but, uh, I don't see the implementation happening uh, real soon. I think you're right in terms of it. It really takes smaller countries to innovate faster and and sort of provide a testing ground or a use case for bigger countries like the U.S. to potentially actually uh, onboard something like this someday. So things like the parallel election instead of doing the real election first and things like Liberland, you know, implementing this or uh, maybe somebody like Estonia that has a digital ID system moving to a blockchain like EOS in the future – all of that will be great examples to then go to the U.S. regulators like Block One is doing so hard in D.C. and say, hey, you know, here's a, an example of all of the performance improvements or the you know, um, elimination of fraud that, excuse me, that uh, Liberland or Estonia had in their election using this technology. You can now use that on maybe a, a state scale or a parallel election scale and then actually slowly grow it to the real thing where real government infrastructure in the U.S. and so many other countries is run on EOSIO software. So it's just so cool. I mean, the more transparent government could be, the better. And then we wouldn't have things like the IRS losing a trillion dollars and then losing another trillion dollars and saying, oh, sorry, we just we don't know where it went. We would be able to track all of that on uh, a system that was transparent and open like a blockchain. So uh, let's hope it happens. So we, we have two more points about Liberland, and, and we've already talked a long time, so we should be brief on it. So the first thing that was cool is Ron Paul is a citizen of Liberland. So nice. I, I saw it on their Twitter. From, it, it was from February 2018 at Anarchapulco. Ron Paul uh, got his passport for Liberland, so he is an official citizen. So that's cool because <laughs> Dr. Ron Paul is like a hero to many people in cryptocurrency. I know Dan looks up to him. I know... A lot of people that were at Anarchapulco, it was basically a, a, a crypto meetup for a lot of people. So that was pretty cool to see a big name like him uh, be part of this. But the, the, the most interesting thing about all of this was who is advising Liberland on the EOSIO. And it, it was a team called Ghostbusters. You've you got to consider if, if they're going to build their entire government on EOSIO, they're going to need some EOSIO experts to do it. And who are these experts is my question, because all I could find on them is that their name is Ghostbusters and a few projects, a a lot of projects that they've been working on. But let me just read uh, what the advisory rule for Ghostbusters 
for Liberty Land or Liberland entails. And it says, quote, Liberland is building its whole fundamentals on blockchain, the backbone of the country. And that's where the Ghostbusters come in. Functions and tools such as voting, government expenditures, passports, and company registry will be run on the blockchain. Of course, without risking the privacy of the citizens. For Liberland, blockchain is not just a nice-to-have, it's a must-have. It avoids seeing history repeat itself when it comes to corruption or unfair treatment, but also efficiency gains that come with fully digitized systems. Our work here could provide insight on how other countries can apply blockchain in the future and benefit of our system. So I, hmm. I, I'm not actually looking at a screenshot here. I, I had like the text typed out. So um, they said that's where Ghostbusters come in, and they went into it. Um, and they had a link. So Ghostbusters has uh, a website, GhostbustersX.io, and they call themselves, we are an independent tech collective that believes in a decentralized future. Ghostbusters started their collaboration on EOSIO's first community testnet. And, and this is, I guess I just validated what I thought. There, there was a testnet before mainnet launch, right? That was called Ghostbusters. Oh, that's right. I forgot so, about that. Because we had Jungle and Ghostbusters, and I think there was even one yeah, more. Yeah, so this website doesn't say which, which teams are involved with that. And EOS Writer is huh. actually the reason I, I was so confused on these Ghostbusters, because he's like, you know most things. Who are these Ghostbusters? And I was like, well, that was the name of a uh, testnet before the mainnet, but I don't think it was the same people. And in my mind, I thought it wasn't the same people, but I just read the quote and I caught myself. So that was the first thing they did was they launched the first community testnet, this group of people who are Ghostbusters. And then it says, after that, team members realized they had cultural alignment, sharing common values and working towards a higher purpose. Since the mainnet launched, the collaboration and teamwork between the collective just got stronger. And they have a list of projects that they're advising or are building themselves. And I'll read off the list. Liberland's DAG, which is what we were just talking about. Simplios, Shintai, Hyperion, EOS DAC, EOS Infra, EOS Test Cave, never heard of that, Superheroes, and EOS Node Tools. I haven't heard of all of those, but the ones I have heard of are, are some pretty major projects. So my question to you guys, my audience, who are these Ghostbusters? Uh, what block producer teams are they? What individuals are on this team? Because it, it, it sounds like they're doing some really big stuff, and they're kind of like a, a, a dream team here for EOSIO, so... Stake your claim. They they don't even have a Telegram or they don't even have a Twitter. Wow! So uh, it, it's so cool. I mean, props to you on on finding this Ghostbusters X that I or was it Kenny from Ken, EOS Writer? Shout out to Kenny from EOS Writer. Yeah, yeah, EOS Writer. Shout out to Kenny for sure. The, it, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, when you think about everything that's happening on EOS, it's so easy to just think you know all of the news and announcements that I see on like the Cyber Clash channel or here on everything EOS. That's everything that's happening or the stuff you read on Twitter. But there's so much stuff happening behind the scenes, and it's something I try to really uh, you know, tell people. Like, there, There's so, so much happening behind the scenes, whether it's developers moving from other platforms to EOS or building new projects on a blockchain for the first time and choosing EOS or even setting up collectives like this to help you know, small countries do experiments where they run their entire, entire government on EOSIO. So there's so much happening on EOS and the broader EOSIO ecosystem. It's really kind of mind-boggling sometimes to think about it, but just so cool to see another team out there uh, doing good work for the uh, overall community. I just thought of a song in my head. You know, you know the Ghostbusters song where it's like, something strange in the neighborhood. So it's like, <laughs> right. something strange. In the, I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know the song, but basically, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. So if you want to build a country on EOSIO, 
Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> they actually they have that on their website. It says hashtag Who are you going to call? I, I love this. Who are these people? Like, let us know. I want to talk to you guys because I probably talked to some of you guys. I've just never known about this collective, and I want to hear more about it because all the, like these are some really interesting projects, and I especially want to know more about the, these government services that you're building uh, for Liberland. Because then I'm going to speculate it on and try to figure out if it's it's block one doing similar stuff for our government. But I, I, this is completely separate. But I think that's a good time to sign off. We're well over an hour on the pre-edited version of this. So you have anything else you want to add here, Rob? Uh, only other thing I will say is head over to eosnameservice.io. See all the new names we've added. We now have the PayPal option. If you haven't gotten your EOS account or you want to get a couple more for security, split up your EOS wallets, eosnameservice.io or the link in the description will get you 5% off. But uh, other than that, obviously, go EOS. We're not going to say I'm Zach Gall and then you're going to say I'm Rob Oh, of Fitch, course, of course. But, you know, yeah, I can, do it. Let's I do never it. get yeah, tired of saying go, go EOS. You know? <laughs> All right, so uh, until next week, I will see you guys soon. I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. Is Everything EOS. Go EOS! Go EOS! Woo! We'll, we'll see if that works. Woo! See you next week, folks. All right. Cool. All right.